Amen. John, uh, excuse me, Luke chapter 19. We were in John for so long, it's just automatic. John chapter, nope. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 28. It says this, And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethphage and to Bethany, at the mount which is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, exclamation point, peace in heaven and glory in the highest, exclamation point. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near, he saw the city, and he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace! Exclamation point. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. So we're familiar with this passage. We are familiar with this setting. We've gone through this year after year after year. We are familiar with this text. We know that the city is bustling, right? This is Passover. Passover is upon us, but also, as we looked at last year in the study of the book of John, there, uh, this is right on the heels of the raising of Lazarus, right? Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, and there were a good number of followers in the crowd that were not only coming to see Jesus, but because our text said today that they had seen the mighty deeds that he has done, one of those mighty deeds was Lazarus. One of those mighty deeds was a guy four days dead, four days gone, too far gone, raised to life, and now on display as this beautiful work of God. I mentioned it in our study in the book of John, this is well over a year ago, that you and I are just like Lazarus. We are this beautiful work. Yes, I'm talking to all of you. A beautiful work. You are a beautiful work of God's workmanship. You are a beautiful work of God's miraculous power. In raising Lazarus, he's done the same for you and for me. In raising us to new life in him, by faith in him, because of his work on the cross that we'll celebrate on Friday, because of his resurrection, death is defeated, and we have new life in him. That's our reality. It's not just metaphor. Just understand that. 
It's not just because we have this new philosophy. We've, we've, we've encountered the teachings of Jesus, and now I've adopted those teachings, and so now I have this new lifestyle where I'm living these teachings and these rules and this style of life. It's not just about that. It is about new life by the Spirit of God. We were dead in our sins and transgressions. And but God, who is rich in mercy, right? Ephesians 2, because he loves us with an everlasting love, he made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace that we have been saved. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. And so this crowd is building. Jesus is coming into town, and there are folks in this crowd that have seen Lazarus rise from the dead. They've seen him. They've seen his mighty deeds, and now they're in this crowd, and they are shouting, Hosanna. They're shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And what's interesting is that this is this wonderful, like, yes, the crowd is declaring it, but Jesus is also now declaring that he is king. If you look through Jesus' ministry, much of his ministry, Jesus is kind of cryptic about who he is. He's kind of like, he reveals a little bit to these people, he reveals a little bit to these people, but overwhelmingly, like, he would say things like, now is not the time. My time has not come yet. He would do these awesome things. He would heal people, but then he would say, don't tell anyone. Mark 7, right? There's a deaf man with a speech impediment. Heals him. He says, don't tell anyone. Even Peter's confession of Jesus as the Christ. He, he says it in Matthew 16. He says it in Luke 9. He says it in Mark 8. Verse 27, it says, And Jesus went on with the disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? What are the people saying about me? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say Elijah. And others say one of the prophets. Verse 29, And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter, God, I love Peter. Peter answered him, You are the Christ. Verse 30, and he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. It's always like confounding. It's always baffling to me. It's like Peter particularly, because Peter runs his mouth a lot, right? Seems like Pete, we, we, we mentioned this uh, in our study of the book of John. Like Peter's like one of those guys who like talks first and then thinks second kind of thing. Anybody else like that in this room? You don't have to raise your hand, right? Probably need to just listen a little more. But Peter gets their answer right. Right? In other texts, it says, blessed are you, Peter, because this was not revealed to you by man, right? Like, this is something that God has revealed to you. That I am the Christ, that I am the Messiah, that I am the long-awaited king of Israel. But don't tell anybody. It's not the time yet. So through much of his earthly ministry, Jesus was slowly revealing himself to those who had eyes to see and ears to hear. If he would have made broad, grand claims to be the Christ or to be that Messiah that they've been waiting for, he would have been killed by the Jews way before the appointed time. They would have seen it as blasphemy and would have been right in stoning him, but instead he was slowly revealing his godship, his, his messianic worth to those who had eyes to see and ears to hear. But here... On Palm Sunday, it's time. Here on Palm Sunday, it's time for the big reveal. I think I've mentioned this in the past, but have you ever noticed how gender reveals are a real thing? 
They're out of control. They're out of control. They're blowing things up. There's pink fire, pink smoke, blue, like, it, like, because everybody wants the big reveal. Even, like, as a preacher and a teacher, like, I look for ways, and, and I, I, like, try to study other t- people who teach and, and preach, and, like, look for those aha moments, right? You want to, like, slowly build up, and you don't want to give them all of it right away, but you want to create that boom, and you're like, ah, yes. Now it's time for the big reveal, Of course, we like to point out the humility of Christ, right, as it's exhibited in him riding in on this donkey. But this has become quite the spectacle. This is Passover. This is large crowds, possibly the biggest crowd of the year. And Jesus is truly, like, he's revealing himself as the Messiah in a grand way, in a very intentional way. Palm branches. Waved, patriotic symbol of victory, triumph, and peace. Coats laid on the ground before him like a red carpet as as somebody of royalty coming into town. And even the fact that he rides in on a donkey. We've talked about this in years past. Yes, he rides in on a donkey's foal. And yes, that is a humble creature. It is a humble beast of burden. We've talked about it before, how it is truly fit for a king, and in particular, a king during peacetime, right? A king would ride in during wartime when it's time to conquer, when it's time to defeat. He would ride in on a steed. He would ride in on a horse with power and might, with a sword in his hand. But Jesus is going to conquer not in that way. Jesus is that king of peace that's going to do it by laying down of his own life, that, that spotless lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. This moment is a fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9, where it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on the colt, the foal of a donkey. It's time for the big reveal. It's time for him to make himself known and to do it in grand fashion, to very intentionally and very clearly, especially to Jewish people who would know the text of Zechariah, to those who knew the Old Testament scriptures, this was a clear and bold statement that I am the Messiah King. This King, their King has come, righteous and having salvation. But the big question is this, salvation from what? Salvation from what? Have you ever been in a situation where you're having a conversation and uh, everything is great? The conversation's going well. You seem to be on the same page. You think you're talking about the same thing. And then all of a sudden something clicks and you're having this conversation. Something clicks and you realize that you're not on the same page at all. Anyone married in here? Like, you're like, you're talking about the same stuff, and you're having this conversation, and you're like, things are jiving, and like, all of a sudden, you're like, whoa, wait. You're saying one thing, and I'm saying seemingly the same thing, but when you peel it back, maybe one more layer, maybe if you get down to, we're using different definitions of maybe the same thing. He's like, I am the Messiah King. I am the King of Peace, and you want peace, and you are very excited about it. But do you know what it takes to make peace? 
Do you know the things that make for peace? As we all know, it turns out that the Jews, the ones that are in the street waving palm branches, shouting praise, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, they're not exactly on the same page as what God is doing in this moment. You have to be able to answer the question, do you know what it takes to make for peace? What is the source of discord? And before you, you answer, think deeper. See, our, our minds so often, like when we are in times of turmoil or stress or discord, our minds automatically, and it, 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 I get it because I do it too, our minds go to our circumstances almost instantly. Right? You look at our sources of stress and anxiety, right? You look around, look around at our world, watch the news for two minutes. I, I, like, I had to peel off all social media off of my phone for, like, for the last six months because I can't scroll through it and just go like this. Like, the world is falling apart. The, the world is literally losing its mind. The disintegration of our nation, feeling like this amazing satanic attack on family and marriage and sexuality. Marriages and discord, financial stresses, job concerns, politics, and those who are governing our country and state. Like, all of that stuff, right? Any moment of time, you're just like, okay, that's, all of that needs to get fixed. <laughs> if that all gets fixed, then I'll have peace. Doesn't matter if it's politics in our nation. Doesn't matter if it's our, our finances and our jobs. Doesn't matter if it's inflation, whatever it is. Like we look at all of these circumstances and we go, there's, there's a, that's, what's, that's what needs to get fixed in order for me to have peace. But the reality of it is this. That's just life. That's just life. That's all pretty normal. What we're experiencing right now is not unique to you or to America or to 2023. It's not. It's just not, like if you study history at all, you look at what's happening back here in the very first Palm Sunday. You have Rome occupying Jerusalem. In about 40 years, they're going to destroy it all and destroy the temple. Right? And in, that in our text today, right, that's what Christ is alluding to. Not leave one stone upon another. Like, it's all going to be destroyed. And if you anchor your hope in anything but Christ, if you anchor your hope in anything but him, if you think what's going to make for peace is any of that stuff, what's going to happen is, is you're going to go from shouting Hosanna to crucify him in about six days. Less than that, five days. That's what happens when we don't know what makes for peace. Cool thing about the Bible is that it's not, I heard a pastor say this, and, and, I, and I love it. It's not just a book about what happened. It's a book about what always happens. Right? The Bible's a book about not, not just historic, about not what just happened, but it's a book about what always happens because it's a book about the character of God that never changes and the condition of man that needs to be redeemed. Man's heart is man's heart. It was that way in, in Genesis chapter 3 when everything fell apart through all of the Old Testament and up till now. 
Our hearts are corrupt. They're broken. They're full of discord and turmoil. And they need peace. They need a king of peace. So, and I don't want to diminish anyone's situations. Like all of our circumstances, they definitely contribute to our fears and our anxieties, our distress, our conflict, like internally in our lives. I, I know it is true. But I want us to acknowledge that there is something deeper and more significant that lies behind all of the circumstances on the surface. The biggest one is this, is that I think the tug that we feel in our hearts for peace is because we want to be in right standing before a holy God. Like, I think on a very, like, natural, cosmic level, that is the ache of every man. We want to be in right standing before a holy God. Like, the fancy theological word, and I know most of you know this, would be justification. We want to be justified. We want to be deemed right or accepted by God. The other thing is, too, is I think we want to know that we are in his will. Like that I am in the will of God, that I am walking in him, that the, my living matches his word. That I'm on the path that he has set before me and that my faith is true, that it's evidenced by living, that it's evidenced by obedience. And so in that first part, justification, right? Being justified by God, Romans 5, chapter 1, excuse me, chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. <laughs> it's pretty simple. Since we have been justified by faith in Christ, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so justification is that being uh, deemed not guilty. That by faith in Christ, faith in his work, that he is our righteousness. That it is not in our merits, it is not in our deeds, it is not in our good works, but it is in Christ's work, and that by faith in him, his righteousness is attributed to us. When you know that you're in right standing, when you know that you're accepted, when you know that you're approved by God because of Christ, there is peace in our hearts and in our lives that is unshakable. Because it's not rooted in me or my works, but it's rooted in the person and the work of Jesus. We are justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it produces peace in our hearts and in our lives. Today, if you're in this room and you have not placed your faith in Jesus, you will never, ever, and I'm glad, never experience true peace. It's the design of God for humanity. If you have turmoil in your heart because you are running from God today, run no longer. And by faith, put your faith in Christ and receive salvation and life and peace in him. And then there's the peace that comes from knowing you are loving his word and his will. I think too many Christians, too many people, and please make sure you're not one of them. Too many of us, we have a theology that is about us. 
with us and our comforts and our ambition at the center of our theology. This is sneaky. This is one of those sneaky things that creeps into the church, particularly the church in America, where our theology and our salvation and our religion and all of this stuff has me at the center instead of Christ at the center. And ambition, like, ambition is just a fancy word for will, where our ambition, our will is still at the center of our life and our living. I used to call this uh, sprinkle on Jesus, right? Where we come into this church experience, we come into this religious experience, and, and we have our lives, and it's heading in a direction. And when we come into contact with Christ, when we come and encounter Christ, you know, it, it might not be as dramatic as Paul's experience in Acts chapter 9, where he's on the road to Damascus, and Christ meets him there and knocks him off his horse and blinds him, and like, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Right? But all of us have that moment in our lives. It might not be quite as dramatic as that, but every one of us comes face to face with Jesus, and then we have to do something with him. We're either going to receive him and accept him, we're going to enthrone him in our lives, or we're going to reject him. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. And a lot of times, like, there, we think that there's this middle portion here where we receive him, but yet we still carry on our path with all of our ambition and all of our will. And we have this sprinkle on Jesus where we're just saying, we just sprinkle a little bit of him on top and we're going, God, bless it. Bless me. Bless my trajectory. Bless my path. But in essence, in reality, what's supposed to happen is we come face to face with Christ. And much like Paul, everything changes. Everything changes. Everything then is on the table before the Lord. My path was now heading, was once heading this way. For me and mine, for me and my ambition, for me and my will, for me and my success, for me and my self-preservation, for me and my flourishing. But now I've met Jesus. And everything changes. My life is no longer lived for me and just sprinkling a little bit of him on top so that my morality looks more spiritual. But now everything has changed. And now I go, Lord, is this where you have me? What do, like wherever you have me in my life, it is lived for your glory. My job is now lived for your glory. Maybe I change jobs. Maybe I engage here. Maybe whatever it is, God, I was once living for me, but now I'm living for you. I want to love and do your will. What happens is instead of truly enthroning a sovereign king with a sovereign will, yes, for the universe, yes, for the cosmos, but all the way down to little old me, he's got a sovereign will for me and my life, for you and your life. Instead of truly enthroning a sovereign king, by letting him rule our hearts and our thoughts and our desires and our wills and our actions, we continue on with our ambition, with our desires. We just sprinkle a little church and Jesus on top. We must get to a point of loving King Jesus and knowing and trusting and loving his will beyond our very lives. This is hard. This is challenging. This is disruptive. This disrupts our lives. Doing the will of God, 
being in complete submission to his will for the believer should not be like eating your vegetables. Remember eating your vegetables growing up, right? Especially kids. Like now most of us growing ups, like I think for the most part we have some vegetables that we like and we like actually like make them in ways that we like them. But remember hating vegetables growing up? I had the broccoli, Brussels sprouts. So you, you guys already know my thoughts on cauliflower. Talked about that a few months ago. My brother had a thing for, with mashed potatoes. Like it was a texture thing where he could not eat them. I one time thought he was going to fool my mom by taking all of his mashed potatoes while, he, while she wasn't looking. He would sit at the, first off, he would take forever to eat. And he would sit at the table. My mom wouldn't let him get up from the table until it was all gone. So he would literally like sit there for an hour after everybody left. It was poor kid. But he literally thought he was going to fool my mom by taking his mashed potatoes and going not under his plate, but under the tablecloth under his plate and like grabbing the plate and like mashing them down and hiding them. And then it was like all done and then walked away and went to play. Like mom wasn't going to find it. It's baffling to me. She found it. He got in trouble. It's a great story to tell. But doing the will of God for believers, for true believers, should not be like eating our vegetables. Like, we know it's good for us. We know it's what we're supposed to do. But there's no delight in it. There's no pleasure. Like, I would much rather eat something fun instead of my vegetables. But I know I should eat my vegetables, so I'm going to do it. Doing the will of God wholeheartedly surrendered to him for the believer should not be like that. That we would delight in him and his calling in our lives. That's the goal for us indwelt and empowered by the Holy Spirit, being conformed into the image of Jesus, transformed and sanctified, desires changing. The world which was once sweet is now bitter and empty and gross. The things of Christ that once seemed boring and not appealing is now life, that the words of God are life and the sweetest thing to my soul. Yet it fills me with joy because my joy is in him. Is that where we're at today? Is that where we're at today? Because these are the things that make for peace. Being justified by faith in Christ, being in right standing with him, and having that new life marked with a love for his word and his will, a life that's full of faith in him. These are the things that make for peace. So please, oh please, oh please, don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Allow him to open your eyes to see the truth that is him. Allow him to soften your heart to actually enthrone him as sovereign king. Let's read our text again today. Uh, Luke 19. Let's start in verse 38 this time. Saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near, he saw the city, and he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. So something hit me just a little bit differently this year in this text. In reading this, right? The crowd is there and the crowd is shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Right? They're, they're, they're actually quoting Psalm 118, I believe. 
Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. The Pharisees then look at Jesus and they say, Teacher, rebuke them. Tell them it's not true. Teacher, tell them to knock it off. They're calling you the Messiah. They're calling you the king in the line of David. They're citing Psalm 118. Tell them to stop because they are committing blasphemy. Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus' response here, he says, I'm, I tell you, right? That's like saying, I, I'm telling you the truth here. If these people were silent, the very stones would cry out. They have to. They have to make this declaration because if they don't, the very stones would cry out. And I, I've heard that verse used so many times, especially in worship settings. You know, when we're trying to get people to sing out, we're trying to get people like to actually open your mouth and sing the words that are on that screen, sing it. Because if you don't sing it, the rocks are going to cry out. I think there's something more here, something, something bigger here. Right? You've got stones, rocks, these are inanimate objects. But it, but it hit me, it's not just that they're lifeless. Not just that they're inanimate, they, they, they have no mouth, they have no business in declaring anything. That this, if they were to cry out, of course that would be a miracle of God. But what hit me about rocks, about stones, is their hardness. Their hardness. He can make praise and truth come from rocks. He could make rocks declare him as king. And that's exactly what he does and exactly what he needs to do to every person in this room. That's the miracle that has taken place in every professing believer in this room today. It's Ezekiel chapter 36, starting in verse 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will, put, I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. There used to be a rock in here. There used to be a stone in here. But he's replaced that with, with, a, with a heart of flesh, with something that is soft. The Pharisees' hearts were hard, they wouldn't receive him as king. They wouldn't enthrone him as king. And enthroning Jesus, receiving him as sovereign king, submitting to him as Lord, submitting to and loving his word in that place is where peace is found. He transformed rock-hard hearts in Jerusalem, and he still does thousands of years later in Neshoda. Are you struggling to trust Jesus? Are you struggling to find peace? Enthrone Christ as sovereign king today. Truly enthrone him as sovereign king of your life, of every aspect of your life. Doesn't matter what it is. If it's your marriage, enthrone him in your marriage. If it's your finances, enthrone him in your finances. If it's parenting your kids, enthrone him in it. Wherever it is that you sense the most uh, fear and anxiety and lack of peace, enthrone Christ truly. At, let him soften your heart to enthrone him today. And I promise you, he is the Prince of Peace. He is a King of Peace. He will bring peace to your situation, but more importantly, to your heart and your life. 
ask the Holy Spirit today to soften your heart and to open your eyes because we do not want to miss his visitation. This week I was listening uh, to a Tim Keller sermon, uh, actually on Palm Sunday, and there was a line that he used in there. And I don't remember the line exactly, but the, but the thought was this, is that we're either going to crown him or we're going to kill him. There's no in-between. We like to think that there's this, like, in-between, right? This, like, little safe place where I don't truly have to submit everything to him, and, but yet I'm not the guy who's going to, you know, nail him to the cross. We're going to crown him or we're going to kill him crowning him, right? That's the enthroning of him. That's the life of peace. Crowning Jesus as Lord and King of our hearts, King of our lives, is the thing that makes for peace. The thing that made for peace was the sacrifice of Christ, the Lamb of God who would ride into town, not on a steed, conquering by the sword. No, he would ride into town on a donkey and conquer death by his own death. Satisfying death once and for all, and thus put us at peace with God through faith. Thank you, Jesus. Let him take that stony heart within you today and soften it. Let him take that stony heart in you today and soften it and make it cry, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Let that receiving of Christ be evidenced by worship by our praise, by the laying down of ourselves, of our lives, of our wills, of our ways, of our methods of gaining peace, that we too would die to ourselves, relinquish control, relinquish, relinquish authority and love and do his will for his glory and thus be at peace with him. We must crown him Lord of our lives or instead we shall crucify him. Today I hope that the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you as the band comes and as we go to a time of worship, what are the areas of your life that you're struggling to enthrone him? Where, where, where is it? Are you trusting him in all things? And I got to tell you, like, this last year has been a real tough road to trust Jesus. It's been a real tough road, and, and the, the whole, and I, I've mentioned this before, that it was a beautiful thing to walk through the book of John. It was so good for my heart. And the fact that John over and over and over again talks about believing, and that by believing on him that you'll have life. And I, like, as your pastor, I have been doing such evaluation of my own life and believing. And like I said, even, even with our finances, like going like, I want to be completely surrendered to you, oh God. So whatever you're calling me to, I'm going to respond. Like I'm going to enthrone you in my life. Doesn't matter what corner of it, I'm not holding anything back. Because in that place, that's where we find peace. And for some of us, I know it's hard. I know that there are personalities in this room that it is hard to let go a little bit that way myself. It's hard to be out of control. It's hard to trust somebody else. But if there's anything that I'm learning, if there's anything that the Holy Spirit is teaching me is that every drop of his word is true and can be trusted. Every stroke of the pen is true and can be trusted. 
we can cast every anxiety on him because he cares for us. We can walk through trials with joy because we know that we have a good father who is working and willing in us for his glory and yes, our good, that we might reflect Jesus more and more. It is not for naught. It is not worthless. Whatever you're going through, you can trust King Jesus. And so let's do some business with the Holy Spirit today. We're going to worship. Nate's going to sing. We're going to stand. We're going to worship. I'm going to pray first, and then I'll probably dismiss formally, and then we'll continue to worship. If you want to stay and worship with us, I'll invite you to stay. If you do end up leaving at that moment, I want to emphasize this because some weeks were really good. Some weeks were not so good where it gets pretty noisy in here. Like if we make it, we may be able to leave the doors closed and you guys can sneak out if you need to sneak out. And, and don't feel bad. If you need to sneak out, be blessed and have an awesome week. We'll see you on Good Friday. Actually, see you Thursday night for house worship at my place, 6 o'clock. Come on out. If you guys are fasting that week, we will have some food that night as well. If you want to fast on Thursday instead of Friday this month, do that or do whatever the Lord's leading you to. But we'll have some food uh, after house worship. Come on out and join at 6 o'clock. It's awesome. It's, it, it might be the, my favorite thing we're doing right now. The Lord is meeting us. It is beautiful. We're going to pray for needs. We're going to pray over people. It's going to be awesome. Anyways, let's respond to the Holy Spirit. Jesus, thank you for this day. I thank you that you are king. God, whether we acknowledge it or not, you are king. But Jesus, I pray that it would not just be on a mere cosmic level or something that is theory to us. God, that it would be so personal. God, for my friends in this room today that might be struggling to relinquish control to you, to enthrone you, to trust you, God, if it's in a specific area of their life or maybe it's their whole life altogether, God, by the power of your spirit, break through right now. Soften hearts that we might respond. Soften our hearts that we might faithfully, faithfully respond to you. Not just to do it because it's good for us, but we know, God, that it, you are so good and that we would delight in all of it. We would trust you and we would delight in trusting you and that we would see your faithfulness and we would rejoice in you. We enthrone you, King Jesus. We enthrone you, King Jesus. Have your way in us, we pray. Let these lives be lived 100% of the glory of you. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Let's stand. Let's worship our God together. Let's respond by the power of the Holy Spirit.